Welcome to the Mean Lady Talking Podcast, the tough-talking, advice-giving show by the not-really-mean, mean lady, Susan J. Elliott. This is Susan Elliott, host of Me Lady Talk and Podcast, and welcome to episode 92. We are closing in on 100, and I know that I promised you guys some public podcasts as well as some private podcasts for my Patreon supporters, and I'm getting to that right now. I am going to be working on a supply of episodes for season three because I really want to deliver at least one podcast a week and I talked the last time about how season one I was completely unprepared despite how prepared I thought I was, how unprepared I was for what it took to put into a podcast, and then including financially. And then second was trying to get right with having supporters who are giving money each month to the podcast and trying to keep up with them and feeling as if I was having trouble balancing things and Still not getting really clear on it. And one of the things that I came to understand was that, and I talked about this in one of the last podcasts, was that I didn't have a good supply of podcasts. Usually I record it, I edit it, I put it up. And if I don't do that, I go back and I listen to it. You know, what is this one about? And I start to find things wrong with it. And I throw it by the wayside. And I must have 10 to 12 podcasts that I've done that with where I've just gone no I I don't like this I don't like the way it sounds I don't like what I'm talking about I don't like the fact that I you know the way I'm talking about it even though everything I do is kind of off the cuff if I give it too much time I find all kinds of things wrong with it so I have found that it's not good for me to do that so what I'm doing now is even though I'm recording I'm editing I'm also writing what this is about so what I'm trying to to avoid is going back through an episode to listen to it because that's where I run into trouble that's where things get trashed so that's what I'm doing for season three I'm trying to get a good supply of episodes so that I can absolutely when I announce season three is here I can absolutely promise you one public podcast a week whether I'm sick whether I'm busy whether I'm this whether I'm that I'm gonna have enough so that it can go on whether or not I'm feeling well or I'm out of my mind or I'm out of the country or I'm out of you know whatever so that's what I've been doing is trying to wrap up season two look at it analyze it figure out where I went wrong figure out kind of how to get it right and then go into season three when I'm ready with that so that's what I've been doing and I wanted to thank my Patreon supporters and I'll get back to thanking everybody at the beginning beginning of the podcast really soon. I appreciate you guys 
and I appreciate your letters and your emails and can you talk about this? Can you talk about that? One of the things that I'm working on, somebody wrote me this and one of the things that I'm working on is passive aggressive disorder and there's the DSM has kind of gone back and forth and back and forth and the psychological community has gone back and forth, back and forth on passive aggressive disorder. Is it a personality disorder? They're ta- they're calling it now negative, negativistic, I'm not saying that right, personality disorder where you just have like this negative view of things, but it's a lot more than that. And somebody wrote me this interesting thing about somebody who's a narcissist, but who's very passive aggressive. And one of the Patreon only episodes that I have is going to be one of my famous or infamous passive aggressive episodes in my life back in my first marriage. I'll talk about that a little bit in a few minutes, but it's not something that I've shared with many people. I think I've shared it with one boot camp and a few personal clients. It's not something I'm very proud of, but it came up. The last episode that I did was about fa and about having to sit at the table in Dysfunction Junction 1. Dysfunction Junction 1 is the house where I grew up and Dysfunction Junction 2 is my first marital home. And I alluded to the fact that there was a recipe that my ex took from me and was my family's and they were like there was this whole big thing around that and I'm actually gonna do a whole episode about that uh not the recipe itself don't freak out about that about sort of push coming to shoving in my head where I still feel very powerless I felt very pat you know I I was acting very passive aggressively and passive aggressive people a lot of times feel powerless and in recovery I know when I'm acting passive aggressively it's something I don't tend to do. I am an assertive person. I do have good boundaries. I don't have a lot of reason to be passive aggressive, but there have been times where I I have been, and I'll talk about that on that episode as well. But somebody had suggested that I do a channel. Some people know that I had a skincare company where in the workbook, I talk about the letting go rituals and aromatherapy. And I had a skincare company for a while where I was doing very natural products and, you know, with organic materials and I was making things and it was good. I mean, it not only was good for me to do the aromatherapy, but it was also very soothing for me as making it and feeling like I was being creative. And it was a really fun thing thing. It was a very productive thing. I absolutely loved it, but I wasn't able to do it. How I was getting into it was I was going to shows. I was talking about, you know, I was going to natural healing shows, holistic this and that, alternative ways of healing, things like that. And I was going there and I was being asked to talk on the letting go and the aromatherapy. And then I had the opportunity to sell some of the products that I had created. And the problem is that with my medical issues, I couldn't carry them. They're very heavy. And 
and I did probably five to ten shows and I realized I can't do it and the last few shows I was doing I actually had hired a man and his wife to help me and I actually paid them more than I made at the show so it it just you know unfortunately I had to let it go and even taking them to the post office or having them picked up I mean everything was very physically taxing so I wasn't able to do it but I've kept the YouTube channel up on YouTube where I teach other people how to make these products so that some people new to this business can use my recipes and sell these products because I really believe in them. So somebody who knows about that channel said, I should do a cooking channel where I'm doing like recipes from Dysfunction Junction where I take my mother's beef stew and I basically make pho, you know, or I take my husband's pasta salad recipe that he stole from us and I give it to the world, you know, things like that. And there's a few other. I mean, I could do probably 15 to 20 recipes and come up with a Dysfunction Junction 1 or 2 story about it, even though it might be a little tenuous. Like the person who introduced me to Indian food, I have a whole thing about a guy who was friends with us and she was seeing and like the, the breakups his breakup from his first marriage and his breakup from her they were all a complete shit show I could actually turn this one recipe for Indian food into two or three different dysfunction junction stories that that weren't even my stories there was somebody else's who just happened to be connected to us. So anyway, but that's a pie in the sky thing. I mean, I have many, many things on my plate that wouldn't happen anytime soon. I thought it was kind of funny that it was suggested, but I am going to do the recipe, not the recipe, but I'm going to do the story about the pasta salad. My big, how dysfunctional can you get moment around this recipe at some point and there's a whole thing that goes along with it I haven't I haven't shared with many people but I'm going to share it with my Patreon supporters very soon so anyway that was some of the suggestions that people were making to me about future shows and things like that. So the other thing that I would like to do is I would like to say, well, I'm working on this show. If you have questions, you have comments, you have a story, please send it to me. And that's something that I've done a little bit of in this season, but not that much. So I'm working on the person who sent me this letter about the passive aggressive narcissist and I actually did some research and found quite a few articles on passive aggressive narcissists and people with passive aggressive you know what I'm calling passive aggressive personality disorder even though it's not recognized from the DSM and narcissistic personality disorder and so I've been working on that so if you have questions about passive aggressive disorder passive aggressive personality disorder even though it's not recognized by the DSM in the current one I believe it says other study required but they've been studying this for 50 60 years now because passive aggressive comes from and I talk about this in one of my articles comes from in World War II soldiers who they, they were in the military they couldn't say no I'm not doing that they would just sit down they would go really slow they would screw things up you know so nobody asked them to do something again so that's passive aggressive now that came about the acknowledgement of this came about in World War II and now it's 2020 and we're still trying to figure out 
how to categorize it. So there's a lot of questions, there's a lot of studies, there's a lot of this, there's a lot of that. So if you have questions about that, I'm actually working on that. And the story that I'm going to tell about the salad is going to have to do with my own passive aggressiveness. So if you have questions about passive aggressive behavior, yours or someone else's, please send me an email and I'll add it to the show that I'm going to do on. And that's one of the things that I want to try to do. And instead of doing ABC, I'm going to try to do like, you know, part one, part two, part three, so that I can sort of keep track of things. Because sometimes when I work on those multi-part podcast, they feel so exhaustive to me that I need a nap afterwards. So I'm going to try to break it out a little bit more than I did. Okay, so listen, we've been talking about this a lot in boot camp. And we talk about this in a lot of boot camps because boot camp is kind of the place where I can kind of get into things like this because we talk about the life inventory and we talk about how we recreate the struggles in childhood so that we either create them or we attract people who will create them in our lives. So we are comfortable around a certain type of person and either we're attracted to abusers because that's what we're comfortable with or we're trying to overcome the struggle, which is... I'm going to get into a relationship with this abuser and they're going to try to abuse me and I'm going to explain to them why they shouldn't abuse me because they love me and then they're going to love me and we're going to be happy together. So I will have overcome my abuse from childhood. And of course, none of this goes on in a conscious level. But it's if you look at the relationship and you look at your relationships over the course of your life, that's what you will see. Either this person was that way when we met or something happened where somehow they became that way. And I've looked to people who you look at some of the issues that went on that either led to their breakup or happened after their breakup, and you're thinking, how could they have possibly have turned into their ex? How could their ex have possibly turned into the exact person that their parents were? Like, how did this struggle manage to recreate itself? It seems almost uncanny. Like, it absolutely should not happen. The furthest thing should happen. But everybody has certain characteristics that you can overlook because they've got all these other characteristics. Like a client of mine had parents who declared bankruptcy when she was going to college and she actually gave them the money that she had saved as a teenager working to go to college. She actually gave her parents this money. And that's not the role of a child. That's not the role of what a person does. And yet many, many, many years later, she got into a relationship with this other person. The person seemed fine and great and wonderful. And they actually owned a business together and things were great. And, you know, but things went on over the years 
and eventually they broke up and then afterwards the person owed her a lot of money and she just and she decided to declare bankruptcy and was never going to pay this this person her money now you look at these two things that happened many 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 years apart and she said to me how did that happen and I'm like it I can't explain it but it does and what it means is that if you don't resolve your wounds from childhood you continue to recreate them either you recreate them now when we looked at her relationship with this her ex-partner there was a kind of slow movement of responsibility financial responsibility going her way it was very slow it was very insidious it happened over a long period of time you couldn't really see it unless you were looking at it through hindsight but it happened and when I talk about observation and getting past your breakup the very first thing is observation the reason is that no matter how long you're in a relationship no matter how long you're doing something with somebody no matter how long you're together and I talked about this in my boot camp just uh, just last week. When Michael was sick, his brain tumor was causing him to behave in sort of weird ways. My observation kicked in. Now, I was working full time. I was writing. I was finishing up getting past your breakup. And it was due in September. And this was the summer before it was due. And his his seizure that led to his brain cancer diagnosis happened in September. So all this stuff was closing in on me in August and he was acting wacky. I mean, there were sometimes I would talk to him and he wouldn't answer me and he would look like he was looking through me. This was the brain tumor, but I didn't know it. And I was keeping my observation very, very keen. I wasn't behaving about it I wasn't doing anything about it but my observation kicked in and I was like if he doesn't love me anymore if he's having an affair if there's something going on as to why he's staring at me and not answering me when I'm talking to him and it didn't go on all the time which is why it confused me because it happened now and again you know it didn't happen all the time but it was such that my observation kill skills kicked right in and I and I journaled about it and I'm like I have to keep a track on this and if this is the way it's gonna be like if he's either not treating me right or there's someone else or he doesn't love me whatever it is because he suddenly stopped responding to me the way he normally had I have to be aware and I have to commit to just moving on this like I'm not I'm not gonna live in hell for any length of time and it was because my observation skills were so keen and I was so clued into how things were going on that I was very aware of the fact that he had changed toward me and of course a brain tumor is the last thing that I would think about but you have to keep your observation skills very very honed you don't just get married and go okay well that's it I don't have to observe anymore I observed him all through our marriage I observed everybody like I said I was in work situations where I would watch people and look at things and some of the observation that I had made early on saved me later on. You have to keep your observation skills going. But the thing is about 
you have to look at different things and you have to look at how does this look like something that may be unresolved from childhood. And it's so weird that somebody had sent me email and said that she put up with infidelity in her marriage because it seemed like celebrity marriages stayed despite infidelity. And I've had some I've had some alerts and things like that on celebrity I don't follow celebrities as a matter of course I just don't because I don't think they really have anything to do with normal people and so until I got that email I hadn't really paid much attention to if if this is true or not so I've set up some alerts in Google you know about celebrity breakups and infidelity and things like that and one of the things that came across my desk a few weeks ago was this thing about Prince Harry and Meghan Markle and I had mentioned her a few months ago because I really didn't know anything about her and I'm not a royal watcher and I don't really care about the royals and I didn't know much about her but I was kind of happy that she was you know a biracial feminist you know American feminist in the in the royal family like I was happy about that when they were getting married and then that was it like I wasn't really following them or paying attention and them living in Canada or not living in in Canada like I really don't care or think about it but one of the alerts that came across my desk was an article about them and about Prince Prince Harry saying they did this to my mother and now they're doing it to my wife and that sort of struck me because first of all I don't know what kind of grief counseling could have ever been available to Prince William and Prince Harry when their mother was killed I you know, I, I don't have any idea of how that could have possibly taken place. I mean, I think that Prince Charles did a pretty good job with them, but I don't know the ins and outs of it. I don't know if they were really given grief counseling the way I would do grief counseling to little boys or, you know, families where there's been a tragedy that's kind of on the world stage. And I do have clients who are well-known. I do have some celebrity clients. I do have clients who have gone out with celebrities or whose ex have gone out with celebrities after them. And then they're all freaked out because it's all over the news and blah, 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 and on and on. But I don't have anything that would tell me exactly what sort of counseling and all of that he received as a child and I'm sure that it affected him very very deeply now you look at it and it's like okay is Prince Harry looking at the whole media thing with the eyes of somebody who saw the media destroy destroy his mother in his eyes like in his eyes that's what happened and people said that there was a pulling back of media and giving the royal family more privacy and things like that after Diana's death and I don't know if that's true or not but that's what I heard some media people say I don't know if that's self-excuse or whatever but I heard more than one media person say Diana's death was a call to stop chasing people to their death or, or whatever but so is he looking at what's happening and painting it this is what happened to my mother or is it what happened to his mother you know is it 
that his wife is having mistreatment by the press in similar ways to his mother. I don't know. But what I'm trying to bring that out is nobody, and I read, like, once I read that article, I sort of read article after article after article, people defending them and people criticizing them, people, you know, on both sides. But nobody, and some people have mentioned Diana's death in it, but nobody has mentioned this idea of recreating our childhood wounds. Now, did Harry purposely marry a woman who, might be criticized by the British press or the press or the media or the British public or whatever. I don't know. I mean, I don't know enough about that. Or is it that she wasn't really criticized or the critic, you know, or the, the commentary on her was both negative and positive, but because of what happened with his mother, he can only see the negative. And is he painting what the media did based on his unresolved stuff about his mother? Or is it really what the media is doing? So I, the only reason that I'm mentioning Prince, Prince Harry and Meghan Markle is because when I was reading it, when I was reading it, I was thinking like, this is what people People sometimes project their unresolved stuff on people who are not really behaving in the way that they're saying that they're behaving. And other times there's a shred of truth to it and they're picking up that shred and they're kind of running with it. And then one of the things that seemed to happen here was that there was an overreaction on both sides, which is often what happens in personal relationships. People in personal relationships where I see you doing blah because blah in my childhood who did exactly the same thing, didn't care, so you don't care either. And the other person's saying, I can't believe you're accusing me of not caring when I've done blah, 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 which shows I've cared. And that goes back and forth and back and forth. And many times there's there's one of two things happening. We're either recreating the unresolved struggles of childhood to try to win over that which we could not win over before, or... We create the situation. We project things on to other people. You know, we say you're abandoning me because you're going to the movies with a friend, even though in normal relationships, when a person doesn't have abandonment issues, their partner can go to the movies with a friend. But now all of a sudden it's abandonment. And then the other person gets tired of being told that they're abandoning you when they're not doing anything except going to the movies with a friend. And now they're complaining that you're domineering and their ex was domineering or their mother was domineering. So, so the two people have now created the abandoning, domineering situation that they each are trying to overcome from childhood through adult relationships and it cannot be. You both will either be miserable together or you'll blow up one or the other. You will not, will not, will not, will not win over your struggle from childhood. You just will not. 
But it's important that you look at this. And and one of the reasons that I have trouble telling people where well, you've projected this onto somebody who might not have been doing something is a lot of times people that are clients of mine or in boot camps of mine, all of a sudden they're taking all the responsibility. Oh my God, that's what I did. I should run back to them and say, I'm sorry. And blah, blah, blah. It's like, no, 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 no. Because if somebody is healthy and they get into a relationship with you and you start pulling that shit, they walk out. They don't sit there and turn you into the domineering parent that they didn't win over. So don't take the responsibility. Remember, water seeks its own level. If you're in a relationship where you're trying to recreate the struggle of the past, you've either picked a partner that will help you recreate the struggle of the past or is exactly like the person that you struggle with in the past. It's not a healthy person, so don't go there and don't think. So it's one or the other. Water seeks its own level. You got into that relationship because there was something in it for you. And what's in it for you is recreating the unresolved issue of the past, either from your previous relationship or from your childhood, probably both. And your partner, if they were healthy, they wouldn't be in a relationship with you. They're trying to do something as well. And it's not always as... It doesn't always fit as snugly as I just explained with abandoning and domineering, but many times it does. You just have to kind of look for it. But Robin Norwood said it's a spiritual axiom that we will continue to encounter those who represent our most pressing lessons until we learn them and not through these relationships by ourselves in therapy, in support groups, with other people who are learning the same thing. We will continue to meet those who represent our most pressing issue until we step out of the dance of these relationships and we learn them on our own. And I can tell you that I did exactly that. I was raised in an abusive home and my first four boyfriends were horribly abusive, horribly abusive. And my first husband who didn't have a serious relationship before me, became abusive and then he blamed me for turning the relationship abusive. And I believed him because I had only been in abusive relationships and he hadn't been, but he hadn't been in any serious relationships. And he had been very abusive and bullying toward his cousin who wound up killing himself. And he was a bully. And I had a roommate a few years ago that knew us, you know, as teenagers. And she mentioned a few scenarios that I didn't even think about when we were married when he was a bully and how he had bullied other people. And I didn't even think about it. She mentioned it to me a few years ago and I ha- it had never been on my radar. So yes, it's like, and then after that, I started dating the emotionally unavailable because my father was emotionally unavailable. And all over the place, I dated people that were to abandon me. 
And it wasn't until I learned to deal with all these issues on my own in therapy, in therapy groups, in support groups, and I made a commitment to myself that this was absolutely the fight of my life, was to become healthy despite all of this horrible, horrible beginning. I mean, my parents left me in foster care for eight years while they went on and had other families and other children and just left me there. And then I was adopted into an alcoholic abusive home where nobody gave a shit about me. I was the family scapegoat and the other three kids were biological kids and it didn't matter. And then when I went out into the world, I recreated all of those relationships. I either gravitated towards abusive people because that's what I was comfortable around or, you know, according to my first husband, I created it and I don't think I did. But later on when I was in a relationship in recovery with a guy who was also in recovery, he had been an only child and I brought three kids, a dog, a cat, you know, all kinds of all kinds of people into the house and I have friends over all the time and he was an only child who had lived by himself for many years and he was like uh I need time and space and and in the beginning of the relationship I was projecting abandonment onto him when all he needed was time and space because that's what he was used to and then his mother had been very enmeshing and controlling. So when I tried to pull him back, he saw enmeshment and control. And thankfully, we were in recovery and we were able to work through that real somewhat quickly because I worked with my therapist. He worked with his therapist. And then we worked together, going to meetings and talking a lot. We talked a lot. And within the first year, we kind of hammered it all out. But we were seeing the other person through this lens of you're abandoning me, no, you're controlling me, you're enmeshing me. And it wasn't the way either one of us thought. And then the next three years, we were like really happy together. We had a really nice relationship. But we worked that out because we were able to. But in the beginning, we were each seeing the other through the lens of what it wasn't. But you know, you could look at the fact that like, I chose this only child who liked his alone time and then I filled a house full of people. Or he chose somebody who had these abandonment issues and he liked to go away and be by himself. So, you know, you could kind of look at it like we each had some responsibility for part of that. I'm not saying that thing was that he had worked on his enmeshment relationship with his mother before he met me and I had worked on my abandonment issues before I met him. So we were both like pretty far along on recovery on these issues before we came together. And then each of our therapists was thankfully able to kind of pull it all out for us and what we were doing and what was going on and how to resolve it. And we did. But that's kind of unusual unless you are two people who are pretty much rolling along. I should not have been with a guy who was an only child and wanted to be by himself and I still hadn't worked completely through my abandonment issues. By the time I met Michael, been in a relationship with a guy who liked his alone time and it had been fine. He didn't abandon me. He came home from being alone. He didn't cheat on me. You know, none of that stuff happened. So by the time I met Michael and he had his alone time, I was perfectly fine with it. I mean, between my therapy and being in a relationship where I kind of worked it out, 
it all worked out fine. I had already resolved my problems by the time I got to Michael. That was nine years of work. Nine years of work wasn't an overnight thing. Abandonment was the issue of my life. It was my core issue every step of the way. It was in my DNA. And yet, when Michael went fishing for five or six hours, I was home doing God knows what, not even thinking about the fact that he'd been gone for five or six hours. That would not have been possible many years before, even a few years before. I had to really work on it. I really, 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 really own my stuff. It's like Robin Norwood says, you have to take ownership of your stuff that comes from childhood that you've either gravitated toward people who are like that or you've helped recreate this situation like that and it's not always easy but you can do this so anyway that is episode 92 and I know I just kind of rambled through a lot of it but hopefully you get the idea and I'll talk to you guys soon take care everybody this is Melia me Lady Talking Podcast take care